Welcome to Ono, Ross, and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep, and they make the claims. We show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Blotcher. And we are yet again interrupting a series. We just reviewed our 2020s. We've got some predictions for 2021, but right now is a crucial moment in American history, the United States history, and there's a particular set of beliefs that are playing a really uh, frightening role, and uh, we thought it would be a good time to maybe talk with someone who knows a bit about that. Yeah, so we're talking, of course, about QAnon, which is a community set up around a conspiracy theory that there is a high-level government insider who is dumping a bunch of inside information about the goings-on of the U.S. government. And uh, our interviewee will tell us more about that. But the reason it's so important right now is that a lot of the people who just stormed the U.S. Capitol last week were QAnon believers. Right. And so um, we were really excited when we heard from Joe Ondrak, who's a senior researcher at a company called Logically. Yeah. They're a team of data scientists, fact checkers, and AI developers. And basically, they're combating fake news. And in particular, in the last couple of weeks, they've been working on unmasking some of the people who are right at the heart of this QAnon conspiracy. Yeah. And uh, Joe's going to be able to tell us a bit about that investigative work. So, really important stuff being done. We thought, who better? to help us untangle all of these pieces of QAnon. We've talked about it in dribs and drabs on the show before, especially at our Conscious Life Expo investigation. But really, QAnon is pulling together a lot of these other conspiracies that we've talked about ad nauseum on the show. 5G signal conspiracy, vaccine denialism, a lot of it comes together under the QAnon banner. Uh, So Joe's going to help us walk through that. Uh, I just want to prepare everybody also that Joe isn't a psychic. So he, (laughs) there are moments in here where he's sort of guessing about how nervous we should be and prognosticating about what might happen. And that's just based on his experience watching these groups. Don't get too nervous. Everything's going to be okay. (laughs) We're in this together. That's right. We'll be, be we'll be back with the actual psychic next week to tell you about some of our... <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Next week, come back and we'll be talking to uh, various psychics who predicted what's going to happen in Ross's and my life this year. And based on their predictions last year, it should be very bad. <laughs> and don't worry, we're coming back with Bob Larson as well. But right now, we're really excited to talk to Joe Ondrak on Onrack. Here it is. Well, first off, thank you so much for being here, Joe. I'm sure this week has not been, I mean, it's not been easy for anyone, but especially for you. Yeah, I I think I can count the hours of sleep I've had on two hands and not have to use my feet. Oh, no. It's it's been flat out. I'm fascinated by you, Joe, and what you do. You're a disinformation researcher. What does that mean? How does one become a disinformation researcher? I've had a particularly odd career trajectory. So I've come at this from my ongoing PhD research, um, which isn't necessarily into disinformation, which is the way a lot of people in this field get this way is obviously their research in disinformation. I started out, I'm really interested in texts that play with the fact and fiction boundary. Like I'm I'm a literature expert, first and foremost. 
And my big thing was this idea of fact and fiction boundaries and horror fiction. So my PhD research is on creepypasta mm. and how that uses social media to create a strange space where fiction and fact kind of meet in the middle. And it's up to how much you want to believe in said monster, say the creepypasta, the Slenderman or something, as to whether or not that feels real to you. And I started this in 2016. And around that time, Trump's presidency mm. was just beginning. Um, and the terms like fake news and online disinformation, they were around, but they weren't this dramatic and prescient issue that they are now. And it was about 2018 when I was looking into sort of the textual mechanics of how Creepypasta works, where I realized like, oh God, the way in which this genre of literature engages with its audience and creates these strange spaces is exactly the same way that online disinformation is doing the same thing. Mm. And it just so happens that the skills that I've developed in researching this, so going back, finding old threads, original instances of people, you know, posting things and finding attribution for different posts and different versions of a narrative come in really handy when it comes to um, researching disinformation and attributing different disinformation narratives that are um, being banded about. So I figured as exciting as it is to research and still research creepypasta, I can really put my skills to a, a material good by getting into um, disinformation and researching the same things. And as with so many of these things, trying to summarize them is uh, is <laughs> its own uh, expertise. But for anybody who doesn't know what creepypasta is, can you give... Uh... Can you give a summary? And good luck. Yeah, I can um, in a way that might cost me some friends in like my academic circles, because this is me planting my flag in this. So creepypasta is a genre of online horror fiction that sort of continues in like a gothic tradition, but does so where it leverages Web 2.0 textual affordances to create a new way of experiencing that horror. So the, the TLDR of that is online horror stories, but there's more nuance to it. <laughs> right. And and has but led to bleed some, out into the real world. Right. Has led to some murders, correct? Fortunately no, it came very close. The Slenderman stabbings in Wisconsin is a terrible instance and kind of almost like a precursor to the spillover we're seeing now with things like QAnon. Thankfully, hmm. the young girl who was stabbed by her friend under what she asserted was the behest of Slenderman, she did survive but it was, it was quite close. There have been instances where people have taken a belief in these narratives, these horror narratives, and you know spilled them over into, into real life. And you work for a company called Logically. Can you describe just a, a bit about what Logically does and, and how you contribute to those efforts? Sure thing. So Logically is an anti-disinformation company. And the main thing we do is try to help people navigate the online information landscape as things are at the moment, which is overwhelming and disorienting. We, we're sort of split into two categories. We've got um, user-facing stuff. So you can download an app where you can submit assertions or claims that you see online and you're not quite sure whether they're fact or, or disinformation. You can submit them to us. And we've got AI and a team of researchers behind that who can research that, fact check it for you. Um, and bring it back to you. And we've also got a browser extension that helps do the same thing, but also interacts with your web page and flags at things that are seen to be clickbait or disinformation or something that is a contested claim, as well as sort of toxic content as well. And on the other side of things, you have an editorial team. 
So we do investigations, we do reports into the online landscape, really. So we do investigations, we've done investigations into QAnon, the 5G conspiracies, all sorts of coronavirus stuff, mm. as well as reporting on online media literacy and all the things that we think are essential to help us try to get out of this bizarre online world that we're in now. Yeah, and all incredibly important work and a public service. It's sort of work I would have expected out of a nonprofit. How did this start as a, a company instead of a, a nonprofit? So um, founder Lyric, he started out, he saw the effects of disinformation firsthand through the idea of sort of alternative health and crank cures affecting a member mm. of his family, mm. which is tragic. And it's, you know, it's, it's, something that I think a lot of people are starting to find these days. It's either that or it's, you know, it could be the QAnon rabbit hole. It could be other things. But he thought he could he could do something to contribute to combating this. Um, so he founded Logically. And what we do as well is we work with government agencies and subcontractors around the world to sort of monitor specific hotspots, as well as doing our own research, which is independent of that. So we do things like election integrity and disinformation around that. So we did a lot of monitoring and we were really busy during uh, the US elections. We did the world's first live fact checking of the presidential debates, which I'm sure if you watched the first one was a bewildering and difficult experience. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Live fact checking that. <laughs> uh, if for anyone in the future who doesn't remember this in their recent memory, it was just constant uh, Donald Trump talking over everybody, the moderator and Joe Biden. I'm not sure how much you could even find in the way of factual claims. Were you involved in that? Yeah, so we we had an AI program to transcribe things and attribute speech to different speakers. And the poor thing got lost about 10 minutes in. So it, it, it was us sort of helping it along and uh, manually extracting claims. And then obviously they refined their format second time around, which, which helped out for the second and third ones. But that first one. <laughs> and the website for Logically is logically.ai. You use AI to help analyze articles. What is that divide between human effort and AI? And how does AI spot fakery? It's one of those things where obviously with AI, it, it's only as useful as much as you teach it. Um, so we use AI to make our lives easier as researchers and fact checkers. What it'll do is it will pass text and claims, and we've got different algorithms that break down text in, uh, into different uh, language processes. So it can extract claims, it can see toxicity of the language used, and that is getting more and more refined as we feed it more and more data. And that helps assist us in actually checking the claims. And if it's something that it recognizes as a claim that we've already checked, then it'll flag that up. And if someone has submitted that, it will just pull one of our previous checks um, which saves us a lot of um, repeated work because this, the same piece of disinformation will get repeated thousands of times before it's properly debunked. Sure. So if you've got an algorithm that's looking for two key things, or I'm sure it's looking for many more as well, but uh, disinformation and then also the sort of toxicity or hostility, how do you ensure that you're that you're not uh, silencing? uncomfortable truths, something that might come off as toxic or hostile but to, to one listener, but still is important data that still, you know, is true. Well, this is why we've got the, the human element here as well. So the, mm. the AI is just, it, it's a tool. It's not something that we, we, we set free and let it skynet the internet. It, <laughs> it's something that we use to help. It's kind of a, like a filter maybe that helps you focus on 
where you can use those human efforts? Yeah, it'll flag things up for us. Mm. It's up to a human to have the final say. So if, if it flags something up and it thinks it's one thing, we read it and see the context and see that it's something else, then obviously we have the final say in anything going on there. Got it. And how many how many humans are working on this effort? I think the site said there's something like 12,000 fact-checking articles or pieces. How, how long have you been doing this? How many people? The company's been around since 2017. I joined last year just as the editorial side was um, kicking off. So I assist in the fact checking when things are particularly difficult and they need some more advanced research. But um, I'm sort of on a different side to that. But we've got about 200 or so people working in total around the company. And that includes a couple more researchers like myself. Um, We've got editorial, we've got fact checkers, and we've also got a team of data scientists and engineers as well who are working to improve our algorithms and our AI and our platforms, you know, constantly. So as I'm sure a lot of our listeners have noticed, you're not from the United States. (laughs) Uh, You're in London as we're speaking, I believe. No, no, I'm, 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 I'm north of London. Oh, Pardon me. Got a couple of offices. I'm I'm up in um, snowy Sheffield at the moment. Oh, okay, snowy Sheffield, ah. home of the Arctic monkeys. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> well, shout out. So, but you're <laughs> you're dealing so much with U.S. stuff. You know, I hear you talking about creepypasta and the U.S. election and QAnon, and it can be so hard as an American to know: Am I just overwhelmed by American news because I am in the mm. center of it, or? is this as global as it feels? And now that I'm talking to someone whose job is is understanding misinformation and so much of your work is (laughs) focused on the US right now, are we right to think that we are in a uniquely bad position here in the States right now? It's, It's safe to say that it is global. I mean, one of the things that we can't really avoid here is the fact that the QAnon meta conspiracy has sort of been very adept adept at adapting itself to different geographic locations. Mm. Um, And as that spilled out of the US, different parts of that narrative were adapted in the UK, in Germany, in France, in Russia. And we've spotted a little bit of QAnon, sort of the folkloric elements of QAnon and the, the building blocks of it in India as well. Disinformation is exported, but the the particular brand of meta conspiracies, especially focusing around things like deep states and global agenda setting shadowy lots, that's something that seems to have been amplified. It's been pre-existing, but it's been amplified by the US and exported in this mm. new new rebranded fashion. But mm. other countries have been eager to adopt that adept adaption. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yep. Does it feel like America is somehow the chief exporter of these ideas? Uh, Because, you know, you've written articles about the effects of this in the United Kingdom and elsewhere. And I I know the Philippines are probably going to come up in this conversation. How global is it and how big is this movement? Um, If we're talking about QAnon um, specifically, it's incredibly global. We've been monitoring Q's movements in Q as in QAnon, not the guy Q. I'll specify that. So um, the QAnon community has been growing in Europe, the UK. There is a massive groundswell in Japan. We've been doing some monitoring around there as well. It it truly is globe spanning now. Um, and I think part of that is probably to do with the fact that Donald Trump himself is such a loud and larger than life figure that you can't you can't ignore him 
and then eventually any conspiracies that form in his wake. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Well, with yeah. QAnon, that, that brings us to sort of what's in the news this week. And uh, I think on everybody's mind is the overtake of the American capital by by followers of Donald Trump. Uh, and it seems like a large portion of those people were sort of radicalized by the QAnon community. Is that impression right? Or is this still a small segment of uh, those sort of um, radicalized Trump followers? I think it's kind of tricky to piece that out at the moment, purely on the basis that post-election, the QAnon community sort of underwent a bit of a shift. So Q posted very little and hasn't posted at all in quite a while. Hey, Kat. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Post, post-election, Q posted very little and nothing of substance that could guide or drive the community in a specific direction. Oh, wow. Significantly as well, Ron Watkins, the ex-admin of uh, Aitken, announced his resignation on the day of the election, actually, and has since... Oh. oh. Maybe maybe at this point we need to take a big step back for people who are listening and going, wait, what's what's Q? What's QAnon? What are you talking about? What is this code language? Who's Ron Watkins? Can you, th- this is a really tough ask. Can you kind of summarize <laughs> what QAnon is? Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it's one of those, my head's been in it so long that I, I it's, it's assumed knowledge at this point. Um, so <laughs> right, <laughs> QAnon is... A, it's a movement, I think is the fairest way to call it. It's a movement based around the belief that Donald Trump is fighting a shadow war against what is termed the deep state. This was brought to the attention of people on the internet by an anonymous poster originally on the message board 4chan, who went by the username, but it, didn't, it wasn't a username actually, he signed his posts off as Q or Q clearance patriot, alluding to the fact mm. that he he was particularly working close with Donald Trump, and this was all part of a intelligence plan to get the people to form part of the movement that he was fighting. And Q level clearance is a real thing, right? It is a real thing. It's part of the Department of Energy. So it was originally a thing to do with the Manhattan Project, mm-hmm. since it's just, sort of just been banded around. I think it's in a couple of different US government departments now. But it's, the, the implication is that this is like the highest level of security and this guy is almost like the president's secret right-hand man. Um, it migrated from 4chan to a website called 8chan, which was sort of 4chan's less moderated, snotty younger brother, um, which <laughs> is owned by a guy named Jim Watkins, and the administrator of which is his son, Ron Watkins. The site was, it's been always been fraught with controversy. Um, there is nothing particularly pleasant on there at all. Um, I don't recommend any of your listeners go and visit it. They've been <laughs> taken down from the internet via different hosts and service providers, but they re-emerged as a coon. They got rebranded. And the queue that posts on there has asserted that it's the only place where the real queue will post. Mm. In that aspect... Ron Watkins and Jim Watkins act almost exclusively as what you could call Q's publishers. So all the posts that Q makes, um, secretly dropping these breadcrumbs that, about this shadow war, they have to go through Jim and Ron Watkins. That is that is QAnon in a nutshell. There's plenty spanning off there <laughs> as influencers and um, videos are made by people who are interpreting these posts 
and sort of yes anding yeah. what's, what's alluded to. That was a, a good quick summary, and it almost seems like by summarizing it, you make it more cogent and coherent than it really is. Yeah, absolutely. So talking about the, the shadow war and the deep state is only one aspect of what the what forms the QAnon law and sort of the, the general back end of what these people believe. So there's this idea that Donald Trump is fighting the deep state, who are these these seated, unelected officials who want to sort of ruin the US and bring in communism and this, that and the other. This was then yes-anded into the idea that the deep state is a global thing. And all of the world's ills can be attributed to this shadowy group of people who include politicians and celebrities, um, which was then yes-anded into the idea that they are satanic and that they all crave a special drug called adrenochrome, which is gathered from (laughs) the sacrifice of children. Fun fact, adrenochrome was originally just something hand-waved in by Hunter S. Thompson in Fear and Loathing. It's, you know, that's its first idea as a a, a secret elite drug. And they they, they took that and went with it. Because kind of like Q clearance, there is a real substance called adrenochrome, but it's not harvested from the blood of infants. No, no, God, no. <laughs> yeah, I think they, they took this deleted scene from Fear and Loathing. It was like, this, this would make a good addition to this. Um, this is why you see things like... It's <laughs> bonkers. It is. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. But this is why you see things like the QAnon community haranguing Tom Hanks, Lady Gaga, Oprah, Hillary Clinton, sort of talking about them as you know satanic and child traffickers. It's where that strand of the theory comes from, which sort of links back to an earlier conspiracy, which was Pizzagate, mm-hmm. which if I'm going to have to explain that now, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> you have only yourself it. to blame. We've covered it a few times, <laughs> but uh, yeah, what, what uh, if you... <laughs> I, I actually, what I'm feeling for you is this thing that I have, have often felt in trying to do <laughs> our work, which is, oh, I have to spend 45 minutes telling you, uh, summarizing a thing that they're not even taking the time to summarize, only to spend 15 minutes explaining to you why that's not true. So I get <laughs> that we are doing that to you. And so I apologize as I say, yes, please, what is Pizzagate? <laughs> I mean, I'm used to it. I, I'm, I'm used to explaining to um, dusty old professors what creepypasta is, which I you know is a similar thing. <laughs> so Pizzagate started, it predates QAnon as a conspiracy theory. And um, so it's the Hillary Clinton and John Podesta leaked emails where they talk in, it, it, they are a bit odd. There's some sort of strange phrasing of things around pizza-related handkerchiefs and <laughs> food-related things, which, you know, they, they, they might just have weird emails. It's it's just it's it's worded in a, in a weird way, but not in a way where huh. what happened is people online took this to be coded language, alluding to them being child sex traffickers, which was their main ring was running out of a pizza restaurant in um, Washington D.C. called Comic Pizza. So th- they they took this idea of slightly weird emails and then constructed this whole narrative around Hillary Clinton and her campaign staff running this child sex trafficking ring out of the basement of a pizza parlor called uh, Comic Ping Pong, um, which culminated in a believer of this turning up there with an AR-15 to, uh, quote-unquote, free the children there, um, only to find out that the pizza parlor didn't actually have a basement at all. Wow. Which is kind of a, a sad presaging of the attack on the Capitol, sort of this real-world physical violence 
inspired by rumors on the internet. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the key things to sort of stress with this is the fact that in both cases, these people were utterly convinced that they were doing the moral good here as well, Mm -hmm. which I think is the danger of the narratives that they are believing. It's convincing Mm -hmm. them that this is a, a moral, and in the case of QAnon, almost existential matter and they need to do this and it feels like it it hijacks some of these like you say good intentions but it reminds me of like the blood libel of the middle ages this idea that jews or whatever hated group were taking children and eating them so it's kind of the modern version it really is that's where it's 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 tricky to tease out all the different things that feed into QAnon. And the end results as well, because you have these people who are radicalized by this, who may not have even heard of blood libel or may not consider themselves anti-Semitic at all. But they believe that there are celebrities who thrive on eating babies who are controlling the country. The thing with QAnon as well is it it does absolutely feed into these anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Names like George Soros uh, banded around a lot um, and pointed to as you know, the proof that the cabal exists, um, a lot of the wording and a lot of the imagery that they use, um, partially because that this is born off online troll boards, does venture quite explicitly into far-right and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories as well. But this is why I, I described QAnon early on as, as a meta-conspiracy, is that it's, it's this broad mm-hmm. umbrella that allows other groups to bring what they want to it and take from it what they want to hear as well which with its widespread means that there is an open invitation for white supremacists and other groups to gently nudge certain portions of the community into further extreme fringes. Yeah, so when I talk about this issue, I often bring that up, that I think that uh, a lot of these people are sincere, they have values that I share, and then they also have these beliefs and probably some ugly motivations as well, but it's all sort of in the soup. And the pushback I hear sometimes is, no, 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 if you were caught by this Q story, then you already were hostily racist, you already harbored these beliefs, and they were sort of hidden, and you weren't allowed to express them in the current society. And Q just gave you uh, an excuse to be more open about them. What do you think about that? I think that's quite an unfair assessment. The the woman who was sadly killed at the Capitol when it was stormed, um, there has been research that goes back to show that she was originally an Obama voter. Mm-hmm. In our own mm-hmm. investigation wow. into uh, Jason Galinas, who ran a website that helped people make sense of QAnon and sort of onboard them onto the conspiracy, he was an Obama voter. Um, his family mm-hmm. and himself, they, they were all registered uh, Democrats. So I think this idea that these people were already secretly racist is it, it is an unfair assessment. Um, what's more likely the case is that from 2015, 2016 onwards, the world has become increasingly chaotic through things like you know, climate change, Trump's presidency, you know, some of the policies that he's put in place without actually getting too far into the political side of things. But, you know, there are knock-on effects. Mm. The world has become a strange place to navigate. And especially last year where with the coronavirus pandemic, the idea that there is a big bad group responsible for the scary things that are happening is a far more comforting idea than the governments and the democratic systems and the people we have in charge are struggling to keep on top of 
this chaos. And I think that's part <laughs> of the reason why in the past year or so, QAnon gathered a significant increase in followers. Uh, speaking of Hillary Clinton, the very first post and prediction by Q in 2017, I think it was October, was that Hillary Clinton was imminently going to be arrested. And, you know, here we have like a, a timed prophecy right off, <laughs> right, right, yeah, right off the bat. It, it doesn't come true. This is kind of that whole when prophecies fail thing. I was just reading that book by Leon Festinger and others. I mean, why wasn't that the end of it? I, mean, I think it's, the early Q posts are quite interesting. Um, there is an absolutely fantastic Twitter user called the Q Origins Project that I absolutely recommend everyone mm. listening to this should go and follow, who digs into these really, really early posts. So the first few posts by Q and the community context around them. And what I think is really interesting about the first one is that it is a reply to someone else who's also making big prophecies. But the first Q post, and I think the reason why it, it had this longevity is, is because it was yes-anded, and Q persisted in saying more things after that. I, you keep uh, using this great phrase, yes-anded. Maybe Carrie can best describe kind of what that means. Oh, sure. Uh, I think uh, borrowing from the improv community here, uh, it's the idea of agreeing with the thing that your scene partner has just said and adding information to it. So in this case, it would be the first Q. Oh, my goodness, cat, cat maintenance. So in this case, it would be that the, the first person who claimed to be Q drops a bit of supposed information uh say Hillary Clinton secretly a lizard and then the next person says oh yes exactly I've always known that I'm so glad someone is actually speaking out about it she is a lizard and I know that because I have the documentation and that documentation is called the lizard act and the lizard act by the way also mentions that uh Joe Biden <laughs> is uh the the supreme lizard and once he takes over we are all going to become <laughs> eggs or whatever so everyone sort of uh, Yes, and and, and uh, yes, and uh, adding legitimacy to themselves by nodding to the previous speaker. Does that make sense? So essentially, improv is destroying our planet. <laughs> I mean, I knew that. <laughs> what have been some of the other predictions that have either come true or come false? I think the key thing to say is that none of Q's predictions have come true at all. Trying to think off the top of my head, some of the other bold ones. Um, I mean, the biggest one is the the thing that reframes QAnon into a sort of it uses cultic language as well. And I think the thing that reframes that is the 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 overall prediction and this idea of the storm, which is this unifying mm. endpoint for QAnon, which has supposedly come and gone on numerous occasions, um, <laughs> been okay. called off for bad weather. You know, it's, 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 it's always been kicked down the road, the storm. And it's always been speculated that XYZ thing is, is actually the storm. Oh, no, it's not. It's this next thing. Uh, so yeah. the storm Familiar. is the idea that Donald mm. Trump <laughs> is going to whip the covers off this sh secret shadow war that he's currently fighting. And all of the QAnon followers, silly liberal Democrat friends are going to be like, oh my God, you were right all along, become converted into this. Um, and you know, it's all going to become clear. 
and that um, you know Donald Trump's going to be victorious over the deep state, and the the world will undergo some major transformative change that includes things like secret technology being revealed, everyone's debt being wiped, and yes, ev- ev- everyone who QAnon says is bad will go to Guantanamo Bay and be hanged. So that's that's the storm. And is oh, wow. is that the Great Awakening when everybody else kind of? comes I've, I've heard this term the great awakening yes is that tied to that idea yeah so so the great awakening comes with the storm and i i know we'll try to get into who the actual actors are behind uh, these q posts and this mythology but who do they think it is do they have theories about who they think you know obviously it's not mike pence now he's the enemy oh yes i think they they, they always speculated that mike pence was he, he could have gone either way until he turned out to be actually <laughs> one of the baddies. They were never too sure about him. Um, and he there was always the potential that he was already arrested and the guy we were seeing was a clone or a body double, which is another thing that QAnon loves. Oh, wow. Okay. It's, it's, had, it's one, of, one of the strands of how they explained the Hillary Clinton thing away um, is that the, the, the first prophecy did come true, but what you're seeing now is um, a clone or a body double. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've heard another option is that she is under arrest and she's wearing an ankle bracelet and that's why she wears pants so you can't see it. They, they, they love ankle bracelets as well. So it's it's clones, it's body doubles, <laughs> and it's ankle bracelets. Yeah. And, and speaking of clones and doubles, uh, the, one of the people who a small subsection of the QAnon community is absolutely vehement is actually Q is JFK Jr. Ah. One of one of the big parts of the storm or one of the big parts of Donald Trump's big events is they always anticipate that Mike Pence is going to be cast aside and Donald Trump is going to reveal JFK Jr. as his running mate. <laughs> oh. Yeah, they they, they love Interesting. That. One of the best things about this Not though, good for vaccines. Sorry, I, I was thinking it was tied to the anti-vaccine thing, but that's Robert F. Kennedy Jr., isn't it? That's Robert, who is, is also a pain in the neck um, monitoring COVID disinformation. But you know, that's, that's another rant. The best thing about the, the JFK Jr. theory is that people have actually asked you directly on the message boards, is JFK Jr. alive? And Q has categorically said no. Oh. But because one of the caveats that QAnon has said in the past is that misinformation is sometimes necessary, which is a get out of jail free card for things not coming true. Oh, God. The, the oh conversation has gone, hey, Q, is JFK Jr. alive? No. Oh, he is? Uh, oh, we hear what you're saying, Q, wink, wink. <laughs> wow. Oh, interesting. We can do so, whatever we want with this. Yeah, this is this is always a really interesting turn that I don't hear talked about a lot, but I keep seeing it in the, especially the cult leaders that we investigate. For a lot of them, there seems to be this turning point where they kind of lose control and even maybe try to stop the role and and say, oh, okay, you no, know, well, you're going a little far with that. Or or even in the case of Warren Jeffs, who leads the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints, even saying, I made this up. I'm not the prophet. Stop, stop following me. And then the followers going, no, no, no. Okay, okay. We get what you're saying. Wink, wink. You have to say this because you're in jail. We get it. Okay, this actually reaffirms what we believe. So it sounds like maybe Q, QAnon uh, as a movement is kind of hitting that apex or nadir, depending on which way you want to look at this graph. Yeah, that turning point. Do you think so? It's 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 self-sustaining now um, mm. because Q hasn't posted in I think it's well over a month now actually and oh, there have wow. been longer silences but 
the the fact that Q isn't posting now at a time of great turmoil where the community could community could really do with a bit of direction from up top really does speak mm. volumes. And I think what, what's happened in its stead is that the influencers and the people who Q nods to as being of importance and on side, the community are turning to them now. And I think this is this is the turning point we're seeing now. The QAnon law has been set. And these people will follow that as a lens and as a way to view and make sense of any anything that happens now. And uh, to what Carrie said about kind of reading between the lines and inventing your narrative, it seems like even when Trump says something that seems contrary to their beliefs or he loses an election or even he says nonsense, it, it seems like they latch onto that and they've learned to read sort of a code language into everything. G- can you speak to that? Maybe kind of the coded language, so the reading between the lines, and also as a bonus, how aware of any of this you think Donald Trump actually is? Oh, God. Okay. So um, the, the code language, there are a few different things that the QAnon community enjoys about well, it was about Trump's tweets, but we can't say that anymore now, can we? Um, yeah. If we sort of rewind for the past fortnight or so, when Trump still had a Twitter account and the time before that, <laughs> Twitter, Q asserted, was the main way in which Trump would let the community know that he was on side and give them nudges and winks. And Q gave the community a lot of different prompts and toolkits to to decipher Trump's nods and winks. One of the big things they enjoyed was the idea of that Trump's sometimes haphazard capitalization method within sentences was in fact... Right. It, it was a code referring to different things, either different initialisms or spelling out a word in an anagram, but capitals mattered. There's a lot of bizarre capitals in those tweets. There are indeed. were. Okay, did they get to the bottom of Kofifi? What is that? I don't think they did. I don't think they I think there were competing narratives about Kofifi. Okay. Trump's infamous tweet that he probably butt dialed or, you know, typed as he was falling asleep and sent on Twitter and no one's ever been able to figure out what he meant by Kofifi. I think if he, if he just admitted that he fell asleep or sneezed while he was accidentally hitting send tweet, you know, it would have humanized him a lot more and everyone would have been like, "Okay, we get it. We've been there." There's the capitalizations. There are the nonsense moments like Kofifi, times where he misspells things. There is never an accidental misspelling in a Trump tweet. It's always mm-hmm. deliberate. And one of the big ones that Q likes, likes, liked, depending on whether Q posts again, is this idea of deltas and that the timing of Trump tweets lines up with Q's posts in a way that makes perfect sense to the community um, Mm. and means that there is definitely something at play here. And uh, wasn't there just something in the last day, if I've got my time right, which who knows, where I think it was in Trump's latest video, he tapped his desk or something and some of the QAnon community was convinced he was giving them Morse code? Of course, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) of course. Wow. Why wouldn't he be? Uh, Well, see, oh, oh, isn't that interesting phrasing? That's exactly right. That's the argument. Why (laughs) wouldn't he be? I'm going to say something wild. Now, you prove me wrong. I don't have to give you proof of the thing that I've said. You prove me wrong. And that's such an (laughs) onerous task to put on the other person. Yeah. So anything that Trump does that seems a little bit odd, numbers, especially going back to this idea of tapping Mm. his desk or even these deltas, 
the idea that he does things a certain number of times or the date at which he posts being significant in terms of the numbers that are displayed, that has led to a certain subsect of the QAnon community getting really into numerology. Oh my goodness. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Some, some of sense. the readings get really creative. It's, it's, it's tools that these people think are necessary because this has to be true. So they look to more and more esoteric methodologies to try and keep it making sense to them. On some level, as you're describing this, I can see why it must be fun, fulfilling, because there's pattern seeking, there's clue solving. It's a big you know, mystery that we get to tap into. Is that a common thread that you see in Creepypasta and QAnon and some of these other beliefs? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of these things that there, there is a theory out there, QAnon is um, an ARG or an alternate reality game gone wrong. So it's this idea that there are, there are games out there, commonly there were a few that were um, creepypastas linking to the Slenderman. There was um, Everyman Hybrid and uh, Marble Hornets, where the community engaged with these characters who were posting things as if they were real, um, solving mysteries to then find different secret aspects of the narrative um, that were then spoken about or revealed in the next iteration of what the the games masters or the people running the narrative were then producing. Um, there's a theory that QAnon started out in the same way. And whilst it uses elements of gamification and the, this idea of um, community collaborative problem solving, the key difference between QAnon and an ARG is that an ARG has an end. There is a right and a wrong to each mm. puzzle. Whereas with QAnon, there isn't. There are there are, there are just things that are being thrown out. It's open ended. Yeah, it's 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 open ended. I mean, with with an ARG, you can pursue a line of inquiry of investigation, realize it's a dead end, and leave it at that. With QAnon, you can pursue that until it becomes an entirely new strand of the QAnon law without it having to mean any sense. Yeah, I, I keep seeing this pattern-seeking element of it, how much we want to find meaning in the noise. I also keep wondering, are, are the people who are drawn to this, are they particularly susceptible to that? Or is this just a human trait and this could have happened to anyone? And I'm especially thinking with the idea of people being replaced by their body doubles, Often I'll see those pictures and think, these two people don't look alike. And I, then I wonder, is, is this a facial blindness thing? But but am mm. I just now trying to find connections where there need, where we don't need more connections? Maybe it's just this is the human brain, Carrie. <laughs> I, I think it is. The, the fact that the QAnon community last year during lockdown, when everyone was all online and got a little bit stir crazy, saw an absolutely exponential explosion in members from all aspects of the political and subcultural spectrum speaks to me to say that you know mm. th this this is something you know if it's engaging and people if there is one thing of the QAnon law that hooks people they will look into it further you know it's 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 a mixture of investigation of pattern seeking and then seeking answers from there and it's why you had around September last year, the, the phenomenon of uh, pastel Q or lowercase Q, where you've got these yoga moms from Facebook who've sort of discovered it through certain right. pages. You know, people who you, you would never think as being vehemently pro-Trump and, you know, ultimately staunch patriots to the, to the point where they would storm the Capitol. You know, the, these people who it's something that seems interesting. 
and then it starts to become something that seems believable and then they believe it and it's yeah I, I think it is something that there, there is a dangerous level of, of appeal across the spectrum with QAnon the spread is is sad to behold you know my own sweet aunt she would hold bible study groups and they would start talking about the illuminati and i i think these beliefs might have contributed to her death because she stopped taking her heart medication because she was fearful of what the doctors were trying to feed her so these have real world consequences yeah they they really do um and it's it's something that is obviously with the rollout of COVID vaccines globally now, is going to have a significant impact. Because obviously COVID, the, the worldwide pandemic, that was never something that emerged. It was always planned by, you know, the, the deep state of the Illuminati. So, uh, According to these people, right? Of course, yes, of course, according right. to these people. <laughs> it, it seems like one distinguishing feature of QAnon is that it's been able to absorb and co-opt all of these different conspiracies about 5G vaccines, etc. Is there any element of conspiracy thinking that's a little too far for the QAnon community that they reject? I think it's almost like a mutual standoff between them and flat earthers. They don't want anything to do with each other. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. There were definitely at our flat earth conference that we went to. We went to a (laughs) flat earth conference online and there were definitely Q believers there. I mean, it's, it's, there's going to be that, that gray area of spillover, but there's, it's not something that's been adopted by the QAnon community. Okay, gotcha. It seems like a lot of Flat Earth has been kind of subsumed into QAnon, that they've sort of lost interest in Flat Earth because there's more energy and more problem solving to be had in QAnon. So they've they've siphoned, they've poached them now. <laughs> yeah, right. They've got some headhunting going on. Uh, hold up, guys. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt this Q and on Q and A. But I have an important update. I know you guys are talking about the storming of the Capitol. That's very yes. important. But Oof, let me storm this. It is. But let me storm this interview with capitalism <laughs> and talk about our sponsors. <laughs> oh, what a world we live in, right? Okay, yeah. well. This episode is brought to you in part by Best Fiends. Best Fiends. A game. When you need to take your mind off of the troubles of the world and just uh, (laughs) play some fun logic puzzles, bright and colorful, fun games with your Best Fiends, this is the game for you. And uh, I've been updating you with my progress, Carrie. I was just playing last night and you're going to be very impressed. Wait a second. Hold on. I'm getting my daily gift delivery here. Okay. Thank you. You're probably on like the 13,000th level or something. (laughs) I am at level 1,689. 89. 89. Yeah. The year Drew was born. Exciting. And Taylor Swift and the Little Mermaid. That's funny. We have a running joke at work that my coworker Chris was not born in 1988. So we'll always say it's the year Chris wasn't born. Oh, yeah. I think you've told me that before. That's funny. We're very proud of that. It's funny because... He wasn't born most years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it now. Uh, okay. <laughs> that was your joke, FYI. Whew, I knew it was funny. I just wasn't sure why. Yeah, what's your what's your favorite thing about Best Fiends? You know, I like keeping up streaks. I like collecting things. And this has got all of that. There's these side challenges. It's not just the, the main levels in the world. There's also these other collections of levels where you have to walk through these side quests. And so that's fun, too. And you get to upgrade all of your bug characters. These are your fiends that you collect. They help you solve these puzzles.
rules. And yeah, it's something fun I can do while I'm watching a video about German or I'm watching a movie or I'm watching YouTube videos. Yeah, I do enjoy it. Nice. Best Fiends is the cannot put it down mobile puzzle game that is free to download. They have over 100 million downloads and it's five star rated. Yes, that's right. Five stars. Whoa. What I'm saying is it's a must play. So download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. That's great, Carrie. Well, before we go back to Joe, you got any words on how I could build a website? Let's say I wanted to, rather than put out disinformation, let's say I wanted to put out information. Just a wild thought. I like that idea. I like that idea. How might I do it? How could I put it out there where people could find it? Well, I would think you'd want to make a website, first of all. Oh, and, duh. Uh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's okay. I can lead you by the hand through this. Okay, um, okay. You're going to want to probably blog or publish content about that information mm-hmm. and maybe even you want to promote it. Uh, maybe you want to start a business on there, be selling shirts that say fake... Fake knees, not fake news. That's for people. That's great. People who have had knee implants <laughs> but are against fake news. Um, or maybe you want to announce your upcoming event or a special project with regard to your important information dissemination campaign. Well, okay. you should do that at Squarespace. Oh, Squarespace. That's how I can make a website on another website. <laughs> That's right. It's a website that gives you access to beautiful templates created by world-class designers, Ross. Are you saying I'll be able to blog or publish content? Mm -hmm. Can I promote my my physical or online business? Yes, you can. What if I wanted to announce an upcoming event or special project? Could I do that? All of that and more, Ross. And you'll have powerful e-commerce functionality. Wow. I know. And you'll be able to buy a domain choosing from like over 200 extensions. So if you don't like .com, it's a no problem. You can get .biz, .horse, .info. They've really extended the extensions. Mm -hmm. So if you're the kind of person who doesn't do your taxes on time there's lots of extensions here <laughs> it's me so <laughs> check out squarespace.com slash oh no for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use the offer code oh no to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain oh but wait carrie i got a yes. jumbotron it? it just came in the mail oh whoa cool be careful be sure to um disinfect that hold on let me put it under a uv scanner here is that, you know, good question. Is that real? Does that help? It helps I, a little, right? Yeah. I, UV definitely with enough intensity would kill those germs. But yeah, you might need to give it a little while. Well, yeah. this Jumbotron is from Lizzie and it's for Allie. Ah, here, hand that here. Okay, here you go. Thank you. Let's see. It says, happy birthday, my sweet sister, my schmooby. I love <laughs> you and I'm so proud of you. Oh, how nice. Aww. Now, who's Schmooby? I think Schmooby is Allie. No, you're Allie Schmooby. Allie is Schmooby. Lizzie. I was just remembering uh, Seinfeld where they had the, you're Schmoopy. No, you're Schmoopy. But this is uh, Schmooby. Yes, very different. Not to be confused. Oh, wait a second. It looks like there's, if you turn that around, there might be another Jumbotron on the other side of this Jumbotron. Oh, wow. Multi-sided. Okay, let's see. This one is from Kelly to Dan. Looks like it says... 2020 didn't go as we expected, but turned out better than we could have planned. A new house and a new cat. Aw. I can't wait to finally marry you in 2021. I love you. 
Oh. And then there's a PS here, Ross. It says, PS, Ross, come officiate our wedding, LOL. <laughs> I'm on it. We found out they're in another state. So um, that, oh, dang. that might be logistically difficult, but I appreciate the sentiment. And I wish you many happy returns and a wonderful marriage. That's fantastic. You can Zoom officiate. If it's a Zoom wedding, pff, easy. Count me in. <laughs> anyway, back to uh, this very heavy conversation we were having. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I hope you enjoyed that little... Uh, diversion. Back to Joe. You kind of talked about how these early posts were anonymous. There's this problem of verification. How do you know what's actually Q? There's Q pretenders. How do you do that on the internet? And also, I want to kind of move towards some of this research that's been done by you and others. Of course, as this has become more relevant, uh, serious researchers have gone in to try to untangle who's behind it. And some names have emerged and you've done some original research in uh, kind of who's involved. So can you talk a bit about the history and how we know who's actually behind these anonymous posts and IP addresses? Docs Q now. Docs Q now. <laughs> We're working on it. Yeah. Do, do we already know who Q is? Like, what is our level of certainty? There, there are people out there. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to this and re- revisit this day once I've circled back around to it. But there, there are people and there is a certain person out there who is functioning as good as Q now. Um, and that is, okay. that is and I'll revisit and explain why. So the early Q posts uh, were done on 4chan, which is a famously anonymous message board. Um, however, one of the things you can do on 4chan is assign a trip code which is a series of numbers and letters and symbols which are exclusive to you when you put in a password and post, which means that you can verify yourself if you want to be verified and known on an anonymous message board, which obviously after a few posts and a bit of bit of popularity, Q definitely did. Now, what's interesting is early on in Q's posting career, the trip code was solved and his password was leaked a few different times, leading to a significant number of posts that are considered non-canon by the QAnon community. Um, so QAnon... The first password was wow, also it's, really easy to guess. It was Matlock. Like was Matlock, password. right? Yeah. yeah. So there was, there was <laughs> Matlock. Um, and what's interesting, passwords have... Uh, the ones that were known sort of went from something that was as daft as Matlock to things that were more and more in line with QAnon's beliefs. So it, I think one of the last ones was where we go one, we go all or WWG one, WGA. But oh, the, right. the the idea of hacking Q's account um, and posting his Q was always appealing. So after a while, whoever was operating the Q account moved to 8chan. Um, it's around here that the key influencers start to really plant their flag and start to direct the community. So it was this move in early 2018 to 8chan where a guy called Paul Ferber set up a specific message board on the site for Q research. And this was his baby. He considered himself Q's right man. And there is even speculation that he was posting as Q at this time. So obviously a move from one, one website to another means that, you know, their level of trust and verification has to happen. And he could have quite easily just hopped over hmm. and started posting as Q. Um, what's right. interesting is that around this time, 
a post by Q comes up saying that this board is compromised. And this then turns the QAnon community against Paul Ferber. There have been more, mm. there's, there's a, a lot of sort of technical maneuvering around this. Um, there's there's a lot of good research done by, uh, I think it's, it's, a, it's a podcast called Q Clearance. They do an episode on this. Um, around the specific hijacking of Q and where and what happened with the community. But essentially, Paul Ferber was ousted from his own board and Q, in one of his posts, addressed Ron Watkins directly for verification, saying CodeMonkey, which is his username and his handle on a lot of different platforms, can you verify? And obviously, since CodeMonkey mm. is admin of 8 he has the keys to the kingdom, essentially. He could quite easily post as Q, which... It's still that that's still speculation, but he could certainly take Q off wow. someone. So Q now posts under a secure trip code. And there's a lot of technical details that go into that as well. The ex-founder of 8chan, uh, Fred Brennan, who has is now taken up the mantle as anti-Q and anti-Ron and Jim Watkins. He explains in great detail um, and has explained in great detail why the trip code security thing means that Jim and Ron could easily post as Q. But um, essentially, hmm. that's that's where we're at now. Wow. The the trip code is secure, so no one is hacking it now. It's not as easy as Matlock. But there are a few people, <laughs> which just so happens to be the people who run the website, who could actually just post as Q on a whim. Great. And if I, as a humble internet denizen, if I want to see Q posts, I don't know why I'm even asking this. I don't need to encourage more people to see it, but our listeners are smart. Where would I go? Like, do I go to 8kun? Do I sign up to a Twitter feed? You can go to 8kun, but I wouldn't recommend it. It's it's an awful website. Um, not only is the it's a hive of scum and villainy. It certainly is. <laughs> this is one of the things where the the community comes into play. Is people who followed Q quite right, rightly recognise that the user interface isn't particularly up to snuff on that website. That the other content that surround Q posts are is quite alienating and often pretty disgusting and hateful. Um, so they took it upon themselves to create Q aggregator websites where through a bit of coding, they could pull the posts that were verified as Qs using the trip code and put them in a timeline where people could just see what Q posts. Hmm. So yeah, I think you'd recommended one, a QAnon.pub. Yes, that's the one that is still a... there because um, okay. myself and a few other people, we're, we're taking it upon ourselves to uh, to find the people who run these which they are essentially red pilling factories and ways of getting people into the community, um, and you know that's that's not that's not necessarily a good thing. So we are finding these people and finding these websites, and the infrastructure that's allowing Q to continue. Yeah. So tell us about that. How did you decide? Okay, was it anonymity is so central to this problem that? by finding out who's doing this, we can sort of cut it to the quick? Or what was the motivation for figuring out who who is Q? Well, finding out who is Q is an interest. It's, it's the ultimate question with regards to this conspiracy and researching it. But at this point, I don't know if it would matter to the community because yeah. they could turn around and say it's a false flag. You know, this, is, this isn't Q, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they have many ways of rejecting any findings. And the, like I said before, the community is now largely self-sustaining around the law that has been established. But it would allow researchers and people who are interested in disinformation and how this thing metastasized, it would allow them to understand the reasoning behind it and the person who was behind it. 
But the Q aggregator websites, which we have been looking at, we found the, the guy behind the biggest one. It started out, honestly, as a completely different piece of um, research that we were doing. So we were orig- originally looking at QAnon spread into Japan. Um, there is quite a large QAnon community in Japan, quite active and quite loud online. And we found that the main QAnon aggregator at the time, QMap.pub, um, they had a Japanese translator. And we're thinking, okay, if they've got a Japanese translator, are they going to have others? So we started looking into that as a way to map out the Japanese side of things. It just so happened that we were able to find out that the qmap.pub website was also being adapted into an app that was on the app store that was registered through a company address, which had names attached to it. Well, one name attached to it. And this was Ah. Jason Galinas who, when we discovered this, we found out that he had a high-level job, um, ironically, in cybersecurity and online operations at Citigroup. Wow. So that that was the first one. And his reaction to our report was to immediately take QMAP.pub down. Um, And because it was the biggest aggregator at the time, it had something like over 10 million unique monthly monthly hits. And it it, it was organized in such a way where people could navigate the complex folklore of Q in a really easy way. It explained everything out. It was a, it was hmm. the site that, you know, someone on 4chan would send to your aunt to get her into QAnon. It's, it, was, it was that easy. Hmm. Late September last year was when we uh, discovered this and published. Um, but when his site immediately went dark, the community went into disarray. And that's when we realized, okay, these aggregators might actually be a weak point in hmm. how the the network of the QAnon community works. Hmm. So, yeah, that was that was Jason Galinas. And as a result, he lost his job, right? He did. It wasn't well, well Citibank didn't said that it wasn't to do with his beliefs, it was to do with the fact that he was also grifting off the community. So, hmm. he ran quite a successful Patreon um of over $3,000 a month. Purely in what he said was to to keep the lights on on QMap.pub, which anyone who hmm. knows about web hosting knows that you don't need three grand a month to keep a website online. That's that's an income for someone. And because hmm. he because he had this second income and obviously didn't declare it to Citibank because I don't know how you'd write to your manager and say you had a second job being a profit of QAnon. He then <laughs> lost his job. So this is kind of weird though, right? So high up at Citibank, he's making more than 36K a year. Why is he doing this? The follow-up reporting, there was some excellent reporting done by Will Turton from uh, Bloomberg. He actually went out and doorstopped the guy off the back Mm. of that report and wanted to have a chat with him. Oh, wow. Jason met Wanted to have a chat with him is the most polite British way to summarize (laughs) what clearly went down here. But yes, have a chat. Yeah, just a nice chat. Um, So we we actually got on a call with Will to find out exactly what went down when he met the guy. And he was not at all interested in talking, frankly, about his side hustle, I suppose you'd call it. But what Mm -hmm. he did, he said he didn't want to get into the QAnon stuff at all, but he was wearing a MAGA hat at the time. Mm. And he also said he didn't want to get into QAnon, but they're a patriotic movement to save our country. So, you know, it's he, he definitely had some sincere beliefs himself about this. Yeah, that sounds like a true believer. And again, this is quite odd because Will and Bloomberg, they did a follow-up about, they, they spoke to his family and his friends, and he was originally a Democrat and he voted for Obama. 
who he then progressed to saying things like Obama is the Antichrist and got big into Pizzagate. But he didn't, he wasn't always a dyed in the wall MAGA QAnon guy. Oh man. So yeah, the, the narrative that these these people were sort of abnormally racist. I mean, I get I get that of course like racism, especially inherent bias, is sort of alive in everybody. But the idea that these people were particularly devoted to their racism and only didn't weren't able to talk about it openly. That's pretty solidly debunked here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's that's not to say that believing in QAnon leads you down a path towards more frank racism, but trying to cast these people as a group who were always racist and looking for an excuse to say it out loud is mm. uh, it's it's completely disproven. Uh Tell me about that first part, though. You said it's not to say that QAnon will lead you down a path to being more frankly racist. So, I mean, as with every other major event that's happened in the world, um, QAnon is a lens to with which to view current and emerging events. Um, mm. And the George Floyd protests and subsequent Black Lives Matter marches in the eyes of the QAnon community were, you know, they, they were part of the, the communist insurrection paid for by George Soros. Um and from there comes this idea that if Black Lives Matter is, you know, it's a communist anti Antifa group, then you know y- your beliefs are going to shift somewhat. Given given the, it's like they get you to say racist things before you realize you're saying racist things. Absolutely, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Mm. Okay, so it, it sounds like it does then lead you toward a more frank racism. No. Yeah, sorry. I thought that's yeah. That's, oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, I may have just misunderstood your phrasing then, so never mind. Wow. So, uh, speaking of finding patterns where there are none or probably none, I have noticed that trying to track someone else's paranoia, for lack of a better word, can make you yourself paranoid, and. Um, <laughs> I, I've noticed this uh, even in friends who I totally share their perspective on this issue with will then start to say things like, yeah, and did you notice that Trump Jr. held his hand in such a way that he was doing the OK sign, the white supremacy OK sign? <laughs> um, and I'm like, listen, I think the Trumps are white supremacists, but I hold my hand that way. <laughs> like, that's a natural way to hold your hands. Uh, if you are an upright ape. <laughs> um, so yeah, how do we how do we follow all this without sort of falling into that sort of thinking ourselves? I think one of the things with uh, QAnon in particular is that there is a good research community out there now, a mixture of academics, reporters and experts. Um, and any claims to do with QAnon about whether someone who is an influencer who hid behind anonymity is XYZ personality they have to be extraordinary claims need extraordinary evidence, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everyone does their due diligence. You know, we we dig in and we we find documents and proof and make sure that any claims that we make stand up um, and the community can also stand them up themselves. However, there is also the idea of, um, there's a phrase that's been banded around, which is blue anon, which is this idea that, there, there, there are people out there weaving conspiracy theories as a way to explain QAnon as a conspiracy theory. Oh um, boy! Okay, that's <laughs> oh, so meta. Yes, yes, it yep, really of is. Of course, it, it, because it's it it is such a complex thing. You know, it's it, it, it's easy to get sucked in one side of research, but you know, it with the the wider community, there's um 
there are a lot of people to sort of nudge you if if you end up going too far down one particular rabbit hole. So it's 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 quite it's quite a good supportive research community that's been built out around trying to solve and unpick the QAnon phenomena. And kind of piggybacking on Carrie's question, I mean, how does it wear on you spending so much time looking at these things? I know Carrie and I kind of get asked similar questions often about the things that we look into. Do you have to do anything to give yourself mental breaks or to step back just from reading and and trying to dissect all of these ideas? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the QAnon stuff itself, purely because I, from from my researcher, Creepypasta hat on, I find it absolutely fascinating the way it works as a piece of online text and a piece of online fiction. It's really interesting. However, the content mm. in some of the groups, um, especially the ones that white supremacists then sort of piggyback into to try and poach people, um, it, it gets quite intense and you do end up seeing some horrible things. Thankfully, I've, I've, I work from home. I've got a dog that reminds me <laughs> to take frequent breaks. And I think I'm- Carrie's face just lit up. Unfortunately, yeah, he's downstairs at the moment. It's, it's, it's his dinner time. So his mom's sorting him out right now. Oh, fair. What's his name? He's Ike. And yes, oh. that is named after David Ike. <laughs> <laughs> is it spelled that way then? I C H E. No, no, we 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 we've 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 gone with um I K just just for a, for a level of removal there. Yeah, ground So people will think just, it's Dwight yeah. Eisenhower. I'm I'm quite I'm in a quite unique position as well, where as a PhD researcher, my my PhD research is a break from something way more intense as well. Oh right. Oh God, and- that's unique. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think there are many people who can who can say that. Um, so yeah, most of my time is spent <laughs> being spent being a dad to a, a very needy lurcher. So he's a greyhound cross, um, and then going off and looking oh. at online horror stories. Do Do you obey the Prime Directive, or do you ever actually get onto these message boards and respond to people? Do you have that urge? It's very much a case of observe and report. I think it. Okay. For starters, um, it, there's, there's that level of safety involved. Um, you need to you need to be removed from it because if the if this community then decides that you are a particular enemy, then they will you know they they will try and find ways to ruin your life. You know it's right. it's something that I think is it's it's, it's particularly bad for uh, women who are researching this. So you know the the women out there. Um, I don't know if you've experienced it yourself, Carrie, where the the, the hate that comes with researching this and the communities who don't like particularly being told that they're wrong, but it, 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 it affects everyone really. Um, a lot of researchers, uh, myself included, we found ourselves on um, QAnon message boards, people trying to expose us and find who we are. Um, ironically, they've only ever been able to find my LinkedIn page and never the band camp of the old band I was in as a teenager. So their, their research skills aren't necessarily up to snuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a level of safety. So we, we, we don't engage with them at all. Beyond that, it's it's just a case of we don't have the time to argue on the internet. There's too much of that going Maybe on. Maybe we can clear up here and now. Are you a member of the deep state? Because I think the rule is you have to say you are if you are, Joe Andrak. I mean, I, I I think I am, but they've got this way of making... Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, they've got this level of culpable um, distance. So maybe I am. Maybe- I'm reading between the lines. You didn't deny it. Hmm. <laughs> Ross gave you such a clean out. <laughs> you were like, no, I want to make life harder for myself, please. Um, so, sometimes necessary. What's that? 
Precipitation <laughs> is sometimes necessary. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so, yeah, how do you respond then to, I'm sure you get this critique, that um, here you are sort of professionally doxing cute people and then uh, needing to protect your own privacy? Uh, that's, well, my the head of editorial and my boss um, is a philosopher of ethics, which is sort of where... Well, that we, sounds exhausting. We, we sort of... Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's his specialty, not mine. But um, <laughs> every time we find a name, we have to weigh up whether or not it's in the public interest to say that this person is who they are. Um, in the case of Jason Galinas, he was yeah. operating the website that was responsible for so many people that year getting onto QAnon, making sense of it, and doing so in a way that was quite um, duplicitous, um, obviously through his anonymity, but also you know holding this high level position. It was there, there was a lot there to do with the public interest. Um, yeah. Similarly, my colleague Nick Bakovic um, recently found the identity of a QAnon influencer who went by Neon Revolt. Um, now, Robert Cornero, Jr. yes, and a, a, a guy who wanted to make it as a screenwriter in LA and just yeah, lived ended. like down the street from me, apparently. No way. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Studio City. Yeah. Wow. But uh, yeah, so we, we, we were looking into the influencers um, anyway, but the fact that Ron Watkins used Neon Revolt's website as the launch pad for this big screed saying that Mike Pence is a traitor. Um, and Neon, Neon Robert, he he writes at the end of this, you know, that this this screed at the end, and let me just get it up here, where he talks about, um, where is it? Yes. I hereby call for the immediate arrest of uh, Mike Pence for treason. Patriots, you're in DC today Shit. for a reason. You know, it's at that point, it's inciting violence. And we figured, you know, this guy is, you know, we've got to stay here. Yeah. We don't do this now long. We don't a, want a to be public open. danger. Yeah, yeah, he is. Is I think if it weren't for him, maybe things wouldn't have been as wouldn't have been as much animosity. But you know, mm -hmm. we can't say for sure. But he certainly had a hand in stoking it. Um, but it's this is something that we we, we don't do lightly. We don't yeah. want to be out there known for you know doxing anyone who's into Q because that's not fair on mm -hmm. the people who've stumbled into it. You know, there are a lot of people who just they they cling to this as something to explain the world and the way to believe, and we're not interested in casting a light on everyone it's the people who are either facilitating the the pyramid. yeah yeah the, yeah they're, they're, they're right at the top they're facilitating its spread they're financially taking advantage of the people who sincerely believe in it mm. or they're mm -hmm. using it to incite violence and almost stochastic terrorism to an extent so it's we, we don't mm. we don't dox lightly we don't want to be out there known for you know throwing every name out but there are people who use QAnon and use the community and the following of the movement in such a way where they really ought to be out in, in the light. Yeah, I totally buy that. I mean, I yeah, I think it's good that we've become aware as a society that doxing has consequences, that, um, you know, people do share private thoughts online that sometimes are fairly harmless, but can be but still uh, unanonymizing them can be harmful. Um, I think that's a good development. But now I think it's become this sort of catch-all term where we can just, it can be a bit of a, a thought-stopping cliche. Oh, we don't do that. Mm. Hard stop. Um, instead of, mm -hmm. well, what if the anonymity was itself used as sort of a weapon? Yeah. So, I mean, it's we 
we we tend not to use the the term doxing because it used to mean something quite specific in online vernacular. You know, it was doxing. Then are you really happy I've used it like twenty five times? <laughs> I've I've given up at this. You know, people <laughs> use doxing for you know. It's, it's okay. Everybody calls me a skeptic, and I hate it. So go ahead. <laughs> God, yeah, I, I can imagine. But yeah, so it's you know, doxing used to mean pu- publishing private documents. You know, that's where dox comes from. Um, mm-hmm. In everything that we do, we censor everything except a name and anything that is un- non-sensitive and connects them to what we're saying it connects to. So mm-hmm. we we make a point to try to keep them as private as possible, still whilst also naming them. And You're not giving out their home address. Of course not. That, right. that, that, that's that's dangerous and irresponsible. <laughs> right. What we can't stop is people then taking that name and doing their own yeah. work on top of that. But you know that's that's the nature of putting anything out on the internet. Really, it's yep. it, it, it's a difficult yeah. decision to weigh up. Well, all all we want to do is essentially stop these people from hiding behind anonymity to take advantage of a movement where they are taking advantage of them. These are people who sincerely believe something. And it's it might be daft, it might be toxic, but the you know the the main people, the groundswell of people who believe in it are just people who are clinging to something to believe to. Speaking of terms and terminology, I've noticed that one of the terms that QAnon believers use when they really get into this is they call themselves researchers. Mm-hmm. As an actual researcher, does that bother you? Uh, I mean, not necessarily. <laughs> it's 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 one of those things where it's it's. Without provoking their ire too much, it's it's almost like a oh that's cute kind of thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, it it, it I think it, the the proof of that is in when uh, me and the rest of the team, in fact, the the whole company got put on the QAnon community's radar after we um, exposed Jason Galinas, and their research consisted of finding a staff page on our website, which is clearly out there, and then finding our LinkedIn pages and. That was it. It's 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 interesting. The trail went cold. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you can't find me from there. I'm a ghost. I'm not on the internet. Uh, do you think you would be more afraid uh, for your own safety if you were in the U.S. as opposed to the U.K., where we have um, much worse gun laws? I genuinely would. I I I wouldn't even pretend otherwise. I I, I know I am afforded a level of comfortable safety here in the U.K. And I think despite the fact that there are there is a groundswell of QAnon supporters in the UK um, and they cross over into quite a specific UK phenomena of right wing gangs, essentially, um, and on, on, mm. on, online gangs and communities, especially in the north where I am. My my role and the research I do on QAnon doesn't necessarily afford me on their radar. But if I if I were to live in the US, then yes, I, I certainly would be. A little more concerned, more oh. security minded, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. quite possibly, yes. Yeah, we think of ourselves in the U.S. as uh, you know the the great helpers, uh, which uh, of course is nonsense for a great variety of reasons. But um, this is such a clear example of our weaknesses keeping us from protecting ourselves and literally a company from another country having to do this work, sort of to to help. I feel like you're you're the you're the external helper right now. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, you used a phrase a little while back that I think is gaining currency and is very relevant at the, the moment, stochastic terrorism. Can you break that down a little bit, kind of what that means? So it's, it's essentially the idea of 
inciting other people to do terrorist acts through rhetoric and in implicit or explicit guidance. So it's it's terrorism by proxy, I think is the best way to mm. break it down. It, so, it, it seems like Trump is like a master of, I, I always thought of it as just kind of mob boss talk, you know, where you're saying something with a wink and you can defend it later because it sounds, it affords you plausible deniability, but everybody you're trying to signal gets what you're saying. And it feels like that is very much in the air as we are approaching our inauguration in the U.S. Yeah, um, I think the plausible deniability is exactly how QAnon has operated for as long as it has. You know, you've got this idea that they, they refer to themselves and fall back and say, oh, no, we're a peaceful research movement, you know, despite the fact that, you know, there there's been a litany of um, crimes, kidnappings, and even murders um, mm. from QAnon believers directly linked to their beliefs. And because each one of these was a single event, they can, you know, they can shrug their shoulders and say, oh, no, they they, they were just operating on their own. It's nothing to do with the movement. And I think it, it, it ties into, you know, again, Robert Conero's statement, you know, I hereby call for the arrest of Mike Pence. You know, he could be appealing to law enforcement. And he says underneath, Patriots, you are all in D.C. Mm. For, for today for a reason. Those are two separate sentences, but they're not being read mm. as two separate sentences. In a similar, similar vein, um, Andrew Torber, the CEO of Gab, he posted up saying, wouldn't it be funny if, if, if a group of Patriots stormed the Capitol or if someone stormed the Capitol? Um, and again, yeah. wouldn't it be funny? You know, let's speculate on this thing that's yeah. ever going to happen. Wouldn't it be terrible if something were to happen to this nice little shop of yours? Exactly. Exactly. What is the QAnon movement doing right now? Like this is gonna this is gonna be released right before our inauguration. So I'm gonna put you in the kind of soothsayer position and ask, you know, what is the QAnon community doing right now as they prepare for this inauguration that they in many cases believe cannot happen, that they've been promised that it won't? Um, where are they? Where are they talking? What are they planning? It's quite interesting. So the Right now, they're in a bit of uh, disarray given Twitter's large-scale ban on QAnon. And obviously, with Parler falling down and falling off the internet, that sort of blocked that off. Um, a yeah. lot of them are migrating to Gab, um, which have their own server troubles at the moment, which I think is this is, this is a continuing problem with being part of this, this quote-unquote free speech side of the internet is that your mm -hmm. infrastructure isn't necessarily up for holding up most of the internet who mm -hmm. want to you know, talk about this kind of thing when they all move over onto that platform. But the influences of QAnon, there, there are a few different theories and strands that are going about at the moment in a way that will allow them to explain away what's happening at the moment, um, some of which are saying that Trump has already secretly been inaugurated and this is all a performance. <laughs> Uh, there's, there's speculation that someone will say Biden is actually on our side, but Trump and Q are operating from the shadows. Um, right. <laughs> because, of course, um, the, the idea is that Trump is still in control no matter what happens. So, you know, it, this is the idea here. It doesn't necessarily matter that Biden becomes president if they can believe Trump <sighs> is still on the reins and hold, holding things together in, in the back. Um, but that's not to well, say- Well, then why fight this so much? <laughs> well, I was about to say, that's that's not to say 
that that's all of the community on board with that theory. A lot mm. of them, for a lot of them, this is essentially terminal. This is this is it. You know, the storm has got to happen pretty soon. Yeah. Otherwise, their beliefs are really going to be shaken. Um, and it's it's that group that are particularly worrying. There are a lot of marches planned in the run up to the inauguration, as well as things happening on the inauguration itself. Um, and again, because of the paranoia inherent within the community a lot of people are saying oh these these marches are going to be false flags there'll be mass arrests there's, there'll be this there'll be that there'll be the other um so there's a there's an element of disarray um mm. within the community but there are different ways in which they're trying to make sense of it how worried should we be i genuinely think that you know something is going to happen However, I mean, it's 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 hard to say what will happen on the day or on any of these marches beforehand. I mean, I don't I don't want to be doom or gloom or you know predicting the worst, but mm-hmm. you know this is this is a group who through you know in, implicit posts and direction from online, along with a level of almost mob organization, were able to get inside the Capitol building. Yeah. The, the the potential that something quite awful will occur either in the run up to or on the day is you know it's, it's it is quite high and i think the the best thing to say is just prepare for the worst in, in a way that the the mm-hmm. the security around the capitol building clearly was not prepared on that day you we can only hope that lessons have been learned and they are taken as a serious threat despite believing in this fantasy network on the internet yeah i'm trying to uh decide what i think the worst is though like the is the Hmm. worst the country descending into civil war potentially i mean one of the things i find really interesting is that that there there seems to be an implicit understanding that there is a line that once crossed can't be walked back from Mm -hmm. um and it's it's, it's quite grim to talk about, but in, in the footage of Ashley Babbitt getting shot, mm-hmm. um, someone behind her immediately points their gun back at the, the security personnel who shot her, but doesn't return fire. And I feel like there is an understanding that that element of once they open fire, that that is essentially very much a line that cannot be uncrossed. Uh, okay. I'm not sure I totally followed that. So, so Ashley Babbitt was one of the stormers, one of the pro-Trump stormers of the Capitol who was shot by a law enforcement person at the Capitol, right? Yes. And you're saying then another pro-Trump person turned toward the police officer but didn't return fire. Yeah. So in the, it's a minute or so long sequence of events, but Ashley's shot. Um, yeah. Someone behind her who it seems whether they're Q believers or whether they're you know general pro-Trumpists or from another strand that were in in that mob that day, they immediately raise their gun, point it back at the person who shot Ashley, mm. but didn't return fire. It seems to me that that was the potential for a very very serious flashpoint that could have gone a lot worse. Although it was already a tragedy, you know, there's there is the implication there that if that if that guy were to have pulled the trigger and returned fire, that that is the beginning of that's the opening of Pandora's box essentially. I see, I see. So a little bit of hope there that they didn't return fire. Yeah, you know, there's there there is clearly there was clearly something in that guy's mind where he knew the gravity. Of mm. the consequences if he were to have done that. Yeah. Boy, that's not much to depend on, though. You know, just that that one individual in that one moment, already armed, 
yeah. uh, just happened to not return fire. I didn't know about that. That's crazy, but that's not the kind of thing I want to hang my hat on. Certainly not. It, whether it's indicative of you know a wider mindset is is something else. But it's it's something I've I, I have noticed whilst monitoring not necessarily just QAnon, but sort of Proud Boys and the Donald and the the other the other fringes and the other sects that were part of that um, mob is there is a lot of talk and hope of civil war, but not necessarily the direct action to instigate it. There is they they, they walk right up to this line. But whether or not it's ever crossed is a different matter entirely. Yeah, it's 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 the the whole thing is it's it's a terrible situation and it's it is quite worrying that we are having this conversation. But yeah, mm-hmm. and there are some people probably listening to this thinking, okay, well, if if the if I need to prepare for the worst, does that mean I too take up arms? Which to me, my my response is always like, don't add arms to the arms race. That's <laughs> that's the last thing you want to do. Um, <laughs> But for the person who's like, yeah, but I want to protect my family, et cetera, I'm thinking about them. And what does preparing for the worst mean? Guy I, in the UK who does research about fiction? I don't know why I'm asking you. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 this is a crazy topic. Um, I think I think in this instance, what will happen will potentially be an, an outbreak of violence, but between distinct groups and those groups being the the, the pro-Trump milieu who decide to mobilize and get out there which includes you know not just QAnon but Proud Boys general pro-Trumpists and the other sects that go along with that and law enforcement or potentially National Guard the thing that I think is potentially uh, in a weird way hopeful and reassuring to people who you know aren't part of this is that the QAnon narrative and the Trumpist narrative draws very distinct lines that there is an enemy, essentially, and the average person mm. isn't part of that. They're, mm. they're, they're, what will be targeted will essentially be the seats of power and government. Yeah. Because Protect that's what... AOC, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. This is apropos of nothing, but, but I've just I've had this question in the back of my mind for a while. Even Trump openly refers to the deep state. That seems to be the one kind of thread that really is mentioned publicly has anyone ever like identified anybody who is part of the deep state i mean is that john podesta is that i mean that's not deep we know his name uh how real is this deep state thing in in anybody's mind well it's in 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 the context that trump used it it was essentially you know a, a way to describe the unelected machinery of democracy so you, your three letter agencies all the all the different agencies and bureau, bureaucracy essentially that forms the t- checks and balances of democracy um and he complained mm-hmm. about the deep state because these checks and balances weren't letting him be king of the usa yeah, and he's kind of systematically gutted a lot of these agencies and various other pieces of our governmental infrastructure. Is there a feeling that he's done this work? It seems like the deep state is a never-ending, ever-replenishing, never-weakening component. Is there any Q community belief that somehow Trump has made a dent in the deep state and drained the swamp? Well, I think... They they themselves don't actually have a fixed point on what the deep state is beyond you know the the ephemeral big bad. And what I think is quite interesting is that they 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 wouldn't regard Trump's rollback on environmental protection laws as a as a win against the deep state, whereas in Trump's parlance mm. that technically mm. is. 
you know, their, their idea of the deep state mm-hmm. are the, is, is this idea of, well, it goes back to this idea of the Illuminati and you can go further back towards, you know, anti-Semitic conspiracies and this idea that there are, there is a shadowy group of people with their hands on the levers of power exerting um, levels of control that just cause misery to others, which, you know, depending on your feelings of uh, bureaucracy, you could say that's true, but, um, you know, <laughs> for the most part... <laughs> You know it, that their their version of the deep state is is this shadowy bad group. I I I imagine largely that they picture you know Hydra or something from the Marvel comics. You know it's this idea of but they haven't actually outed successfully any members of the deep state. No, because the deep state by their definition doesn't necessarily exist. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um. So I tweeted yesterday and said, I'm talking to an expert about QAnon and what questions do you have for them? And I would say the questions fell into three general categories. One was the people who completely misunderstood that an expert in QAnon is not a believer in QAnon. And so sent me like a million, you know, well, why hasn't this happened yet? How does he explain that? Right. Uh, And then the second was people who understood that you were not a believer but who still sort of wanted wanted you to justify the believers' beliefs? Um, so how do they how do they explain this internal cons- inconsistency that I've spotted? I would say that was a good half of the questions. <laughs> um, the most fruitful third was um, people asking who gets out of QAnon and how do we help people out if we have a a loved one who is like starting to buy this madness versus one who's deep inside yeah is there any is there any hope there for a sort of deconversion yes it's i mean depending on how long they believed it you know that makes it more difficult however the coming events to do with biden's inauguration i don't think there's a better time to reach out to these people and attempt to bring them back around because after the inauguration, a lot of these people are probably going to be feeling quite lost and, you know, mm. it'll be a low ebb mm. for the community. And one thing I have noticed is that these low ebbs in what are essentially fringe communities that are amenable to further radicalization, that is the time when genuine neo-Nazis come in and start to make their case and their, their, their little recruitment spiels. So that is a genuine concern for me, is that going forward, especially in the next couple of weeks or so, is, you know, the the far right, the the proper, you know, far right, reaching out to the QAnon community and offering their support first and foremost. So to reach Mm -hmm. out to these people is going to be essential, I think, in the next few days. The best way to do it is not going to be beating them over the heads with this is ridiculous because of X, Y, Z reason. This hasn't happened. It's to invite them to apply the the genuine level of criti- critical thinking that they misuse in QAnon towards its internal inconsistencies. So it's about inviting them to think, okay, well, you don't believe the mainstream media. You don't believe the things that are told here. Why do you believe this? And then, you know, it's, it's almost a Socratic method, you know, ask, asking them to yeah. sort of assess their own beliefs in QAnon. And then, you know, it it helped them soften and sort of become a little bit sceptical towards what they've they've held as sacrosanct in that sense. Is it useful then to sort of give them little wins in those conversations to say like, oh, okay, I see your point there. I see that a little differently, but does that sort of help 
Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, there, there, are certain, there are certain things they, they believe that are undeniable facts as well. You know, you take Jeffrey Epstein, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> you, take him. You, you, you can't, you can't be <laughs> contrary to that, really, can you? So, you know, yeah. there are there are aspects. And I think this is, again, you know, this doesn't just um, come to QAnon, but to most conspiracy theories, is that aspects of it are truths. Like there are, yes. there are little truths in there that form the kernels that are then expanded into these huge fantastical lies. And QAnon is no different. So it, it seems like they kind of uh, puzzle solved and pattern found their way into the QAnon beliefs. And it sounds like you're kind of recommending that we sort of let them do that same process, but on the way out, just give them connections to make. Yeah, absolutely. It for 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 people in the situation, it's it's a progressive way out. You know, they're they're not being told that they're wrong. They're being invited mm. into being right, if that makes sense. Mm. Oh, I love that. That makes a yes. lot of sense. Yeah. Well, this has been so enlightening. Uh is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to make sure you got out there? Well, one thing I will say is that me and my colleagues in the research team, we and most of the other QAnon researchers, we're most active on Twitter. So most of our developments mm. and findings we throw out on there. If it's a big thing, then we'll we'll publish it and then share it on Twitter as well. So we're all worth following myself. I am at the Ondrak guy, all one word. Nick is Nick Don't get Patrick. confused. It's not Onrak, it's Ondrak. Yep. <laughs> o N D R A K. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um and Nick is I think he's at Nick Bakovic. Let me just double check. Yes, just uh, uh, B-A-C-K-O-V-I-C. Um, and yeah, so... Fantastic. Um, yeah, we're... we're, we're at and the, logically.ai. Yeah, logically.ai. This has been fantastic. I, I had so many questions to ask you, and I know we could go on even longer, but I'm impressed just how much you were able to unpack uh, in the short amount of time. So thank you so much, Joe. Yes, thanks for making sense of the senseless. <laughs> the the one question would be um, how is QAnon like um, like creepypasta and that that is going to be a conference paper at some point. I just need to write it. Well, I do see a theme Ooh, here. I can't Pizza, wait. Pasta. Well, I we're just we're waiting for like Noki or Risotto to pop up in these stories. Oh god, what is it? There, there's I mean there there are so many like forced puns to do with it, which I quite enjoy. Yeah, and does pastafarianism get it all wrapped up into this? Regrettably not, and to be honest, I think yeah, that's that's some some early Web 2.0 stuff. I quite enjoy. <laughs> I feel like uh, there's a good mashup there. Pastafarians, get in contact with Joe. Team up, <laughs> overtake the Italian food complex. I don't know. Well, thank you so much. This has been excellent. Yeah, thank you again. Keep up the great work that you're doing. We need some uh, disinformation revelation out there, and and thank you for providing it. Uh, No problem at all. It keeps me out of trouble anyway. (laughs) All right, well, thank you again to Joe Ondrak. Super fun conversation. Great to pick his brain. We may have to do it again. (laughs) Fun, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, definitely enlightening for sure. Well, that's fun, but you're right. Dark subject, uh, but bright fellow. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to him. He is so articulate, and I really hope that his his company goes on to to continue to do this incredible work. I'm really impressed. So you can follow Joe on Twitter at the Ondrak guy, the O-N-D-R-A-K guy. That's his last name, Ondrak. And his company at Logically AI, L-O-G-I-C-A-L-L-Y-A-I. 
It feels like a song. Oh, yeah. L-O-G-I-C-A-L-O-Y-A-I. Why? Because we like good information. <laughs> uh, you can also exactly. visit their website at logically.ai, uh, speaking of extensions. Yeah, I was just thinking that. I wonder if you can get .ai at a Squarespace. I Hope bet so. you can. I bet you can too. So after this interview, it occurred to me that uh, I didn't get to ask him. He mentioned that so many of the people they had unmasked and who were sort of at the heart of this QAnon conspiracy theory and the information drops, that a high number of them were surprisingly former Obama voters. Mm-hmm. And obviously our voter records are private. And I had guesses about why you would still know who someone voted for, or who they said they voted for, but hadn't gotten a chance to ask him that. So followed up with an email and asked, and he sent a very uh, interesting response. He said they knew that uh, Galinas was a registered Democrat, because that's public knowledge, and that Cornero, one of the other people, was very left-leaning because after their publication, friends of these fellows came forward and said, we can't believe this. Like, you know, they've been Mm left-leaning the whole time we've known them, and this was, like, really shocking for us. So that gave them sort of insight into their past. He also noted, this is a little sideways, but it's just interesting, um, he noted that during QAnon's explosion last year, when things, when it got very, very popular, that one of the things they did was appeal to women, and especially moms, on Facebook (laughs) using that Save Our Children hashtag. Yeah. And he said, this is a direct quote from Joe, this was hugely popular and framed the movement as transcending partisan politics to be an existential issue about good and evil. It just so happens that, quote, elite liberals were evil and Trump could save us. Um, And yeah, I think that's right. They were very successful at sort of breaking through those partisan divides. And people refer to this as the uh, pastel QAnon, Mm. the pastel color memes that get shared around on these uh, mommy blogger sites and uh, fitness and yoga groups. Because, you know, it just it seems very pro healing power and stuff like that. But they're just sort of soft serving little pieces of the QAnon conspiracy. It's uh, also telling to me because we hear so much about so much debate around whether you reach across the aisle. Mm. And it's clear here that someone's going to. (laughs) So who do you want to be the reachers? Right. Yeah. I also wanted to note, obviously, like voting for Obama doesn't mean you don't have racism in your heart like like you can you can vote for obama and still have you know racist tendencies i think that that's a enormous and widespread problem and you will never know who among us i would guess most people still have like a fight to fight inside themselves uh with regard to racism and inherent bias but this definitely pushes back on that assumption that there were just these avowed racists that were just just being quiet about their beliefs before trump they're was obviously some of that, but that can't be the entire explanation here. Okay. Yeah. Also, Ross. Yes. I've been reading this book I wanted to tell you about before we go. May oh, I? Oh, okay. Yes, please do. <laughs> so it's called The Gulag Archipelago. I'm holding it up to the Zoom screen for you. Ooh, okay. This episode is not sponsored by Zoom, but oh, that's may as a, well be. That's a fat one. It is. Yeah, it's What put that on your radar? Pages. Um, great question. Uh, you know, I think it was Stephen Bradford Long who put it on my radar. Oh, okay. He recently interviewed you, right? Yes. Yeah, listen to Carrie's interview on a Sacred Tension, Stephen Bradford Long's podcast, and mine will be coming soon thereafter. Yeah, he is a brilliant dude and i believe he had 
excerpted part of this book in his blog at one point, and I was really moved by that passage, so I went to look up where it was from, and it was from this. It's by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, um, and he was a prisoner for eight years at a forced labor camp in the USSR because he criticized Stalin. He wrote wrote one letter to his friend saying, Stalin, bad, and then ended (laughs) up in prison for eight years. He probably said it a little more articulately than I just did, but... One of my favorite quotes is from him, but I really don't know him outside of that quote. Oh, interesting. Uh, Was the quote, Stalin, bad? No, but that's very quotable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I've, I've been reading it this last week, and... I'm always really compelled by, well, uh, not just me, I'm sure everyone is very compelled by stories of people who survive this kind of thing, because I always feel like whatever human philosophy they came out with at the end of it, like, I can't argue with. Like, you've seen the mm. worst of humanity, and if you still have any hope, like, <laughs> I, I I have something to learn there, you know? Right, um, that was like uh, Viktor Frankl's book. Oh, yeah, Man's Search for Meaning. Yes, kind of a similar perspective. Wow, you came out of the concentration camps and you still got a positive takeaway. <laughs> Let's hear it. Or uh, Anne Frank, who said she still believed people were good and, good and kind. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, so anyway, as I was reading this, a few quotes stood out to me in the wake of this interview that just uh, seemed important to share. So if I may. Yes. So first he said, where did this wolf tribe appear from among our people? Does it really stem from our roots, our own blood? It is our own. And just so we don't go around flaunting too proudly the white mantle of the just, let everyone ask himself, if my life had turned out differently, might I myself not have become just such an executioner? It is a dreadful question if one really answers it honestly. Nice. Man. I mean, to and to have been a prisoner and to still be able to see that, that like, oh, that could have been me doing mm-hmm. the evil deed, you know? It just it shows Incredible. the power of his own empathy, but... Uh, yeah, Yeah, that's truly. good. And then he also said, if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people hmm. somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. During the life of any heart, this line keeps changing place. Sometimes it's squeezed one way by exuberant evil, and sometimes it shifts to allow enough space for good to flourish. One and the same human being is, at various stages, under various circumstances, a totally different human being. This really reminded me of what Joe was saying, that we have these few days to to reach out to our loved ones who are caught in this stuff and to sort of find that space for good to flourish and say, I'm going to leave a little pocket here. I'm still going to hold you accountable. I'm still going to ask you down the road to admit that this was like really bad behavior, Yeah, but I'm going to leave space for you to, to, to be good, you know? That Well, that, that uh, is the uh, quote, or at least in part, of that I always think of with him. So that's cool to know where it comes from. Oh, nice. I have an extra little coda in my copy of it where he says, but the line dividing oh. good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And then he says, and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Yes, that is from the same passage. I cut it out in my uh, transcription. Oh, I see. I was so, willing to cut out the part about cutting out your heart. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> uh, 
Noted. <laughs> uh, uh, to be an editor. Uh, and then the last uh, point he made in this chapter was that you don't have to drive out those people or vilify them as people. And he's talking about his own imprisoners here. Yeah, um, wow. But he says, you do still have to vilify the crimes. You can't just like re-embrace everybody into society and pretend this didn't happen. And he says, you do have to get to the place when, and this is his quote, when evil is so utterly condemned that even the criminal is revolted by it. Uh, so I think that's uh, that's where we need to get, right? This place of both holding accountable and leaving room for just how fallible and screwy the human brain is that that there's a banality to evil. Sometimes people do things that are objectively evil just out of ignorance or out of cognitive hiccups in our dumb human brains. So there you have it. Okay. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. This episode was edited by Ross Blotcher. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash onrack or Twitter at Ono Podcast. And you can support us at MaximumFun.org slash join or slash donate. Uh, that's where you can become a monthly supporter. We hugely appreciate it. It makes this show possible. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You can also support us by leaving a positive review uh, wherever you're listening to this. Yes, please. And thank you. And remember. If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. During the life of any heart, this line keeps changing place. Sometimes it's squeezed one way by exuberant evil, and sometimes it shifts to allow enough space for good to flourish. One and the same human being is, at various stages, under various circumstances, a totally different human being. I'm Mallory O'Mara, a weird fiction reader who enjoys whiskey and owns a book weight. And I'm Bria Grant, a science fiction reader who likes iced tea and reads to escape the world. And we host Reading Glasses, a weekly show that dives into reading suggestions, goals, complaints, and the really important questions like, what are the best reading snacks? And seriously, Mallory, what is a book weight for? Every week, we talk about reading. It's not a book club. You're not going to have to listen to us review a book you haven't read. You just have to be excited about books, authors, the bookish community, writing, and talking about reading. We can literally talk about reading, like, all day long. Reading glasses. Every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Glasses. (laughs) I thought about doing that. Hey, you like movies? What about coming up with movie ideas over the course of an hour? Because that's what we do every week on Story Break, a writer's room podcast where three Hollywood professionals have an hour to come up with a pitch for a movie or TV show based off of totally zany prompts. Like that time we reimagined Star Wars based on our phone's autocomplete. Luke Skywalker is a family man and it's Star Wars, but it's a good idea. (laughs) How about that time we broke the story of a bunch of Disney Channel original movies based solely on the title and the poster? Okay, Sarah Hyland is a 50-foot woman. Let's just go with it, guys. Or the time we finally cracked the Adobe Photoshop feature film. Stamp tool is your Woody, and then the autofill oh, is the new Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> Join us as we have a good time imagining all the movies Hollywood is too cowardly to make. Story Break comes out every Thursday on Maximum Fun. I don't know why I'm using this voice now. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.